Hi everyone, we are here, ready to go. How about you? I'm ready to go because we are looking at a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. It's a good letter, and uh, you know, you know what's so great about these things? Even though it was written what 2,000 years ago, we can derive hope, encouragement, inspiration from the things that he wrote. I don't know about you, but I could use some hope, encouragement, and inspiration. We're going to see an important aspect of our personal lives, which kind of filters into our Christian walk. And some people might hear it and say, ah, that's not for me. But the reality is, it's for everybody. It's the way God set it up, and you'll see the fruit of it today. Now, Paul's letter to the Christians at Philippi, remember Philippi, the city in Greece? It was a letter of love, a letter of encouragement, uh, a letter of thankfulness. And like we said last time, that's something Christians need to give and receive. We need to write notes like that. We need to write notes to people to thank them, to encourage them also, inspire them. Show them that they matter. Because you know it's good. Hey, if you receive one, you feel pretty good, right? You can share the lesson. Write them to other people as well. It's so important. Because you see, don't we can never leave out the human factor. There is a human factor. Even though we're Christians, we're still humans. And we can't we can't separate our humanity from our Christian life. Can't do it. Because we're people made in the image of God, and we have needs, we have human needs, and love, and thankfulness, and encouragement, that's one of them. You know that? That's one of them. So we never want to forget. And that's why simple little things like Paul is doing today, oh, it made such a big difference in the life of the Philippians, and I think it'll make a big difference in our lives as well, if we can follow suit. Okay? Now, our last time together, we saw that Paul demonstrated a true humility. And how did he demonstrate that humility? He demonstrated it by not focusing on the negative things that were being said about him. And instead of focusing on the negative things that are said about him, which is so easy to do, yeah, which we all do, right? Oh, yeah, we do. We're very good at that. But Paul did something different. Paul focused on the fact that, wait a minute, even though they're talking bad about me, they're talking good about Christ. Think about that. Even though they're talking bad about me, they're talking good about Christ. Let's not forget, Paul is writing this letter from a Roman apartment. It's really a jail. It's not a dungeon. He's in an apartment, uh, shackled to a soldier, and people are saying nasty things about him. And hey, if he was a man of God, he wouldn't be in jail. Why is he arrested? Don't follow him. Follow me. Don't go to his church. Go to my church, right? That's this kind of stuff that's going on. 
So in his own words, here's what he said. When they came to Paul and said, Paul, they're talking bad about you. Here's what he said. All that matters is that people are telling about Christ, whether they are sincere or not. He said, that's what makes me glad, that I will keep on being glad. Wow, that's Philippians 1.18. Now, think about it. That's quite a statement. That statement could only have its origin in God. Seriously. That is not a human thought process. That is a God thought. Even though they're talking bad about me and they're preaching Christ, I rejoice because they're preaching Christ. That's a God thought. And Paul's got it. So now we open up in chapter 2 and we find another theme. We go from humility to teamwork. And today we're going to see what is true teamwork and what makes it so. What makes teamwork teamwork? Okay. Here's a definition of teamwork. A group of people in which individual interests are subordinated to group unity and efficiency. I like that. Let me say that again. It's a group of people in which individual interests are subordinated to group unity and efficiency. It's a coordinated effort. Okay? It means that there are no stars, there are no celebrities. Okay? You think of teamwork, right? You think of teams. A football team subordinates their own desires to the good of the team, as it is with a baseball team, as it is with any place where people work together in the military. Same thing. Now, there are individual sports where there is no teamwork, like golf. Okay? Kind of there for yourself. But where people work together and play together, there is a complement of one another because they're all working toward the same goal. Paul is going to mention two men who certainly were great teammates, and we're going to see what caused them to be great teammates. The first one he mentions is Timothy, where in Philippians 2 verse 19, he said, Paul said, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. So he's going to send Timothy as a messenger. Apparently, Timothy is with Paul in Rome. Uh, Timothy's not under house arrest, but Paul is. So he's going to send Timothy to Philippi. So Paul is not at liberty to travel. So he's going to send... Sending Timothy is like sending himself. Okay? And we're going to see why. Now, we don't know too much about Timothy. We know that his mother was Jewish and his father was Greek. It was actually his mother and grandmother who were believers in Christ, and they grounded him in the faith. Paul, at some point, became his mentor. Now, I've got a word for you grandparents out there. Grandparents, if your adult children won't bring their kids to church, then you bring them. You bring them. If your kids are not going to bring your grandkids to church because they're lazy or because they don't care, then you know what? You call them up and you say, I'm coming to get my grandchildren. We're going to church. And you bring them to church. Okay? Because look look what happened to Timothy. <laughs> look what happened to Timothy. His grandmother helped nurture him in the faith. So now in verse 20, Paul said, 
but I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. In other words, there's no one that has the same spirit as me. In other words, I care for you guys. Timothy does too. I love you guys. Timothy does too. I'm thankful for you guys. Timothy is too. These guys are like two peas in a pod. Even though Paul is like a father to Timothy, they, they are, their hearts are very much alike. So we see three things about Timothy. Number one, Timothy was a lot like Paul. Number two, he really cared about the other Christians, especially the ones in Philippi. And I'm sure a lot of people said that they cared, but did they ever really demonstrate it? Let me say this. If you say to, if you say to someone, you can count on me, then let them count on you and be there for them. Don't drop the ball. Don't let them down. Let your words be true. If you say you can count on me, then let them count on you. Okay? Don't cheapen your words. So what do we see about Timothy? He's a lot like Paul. He really cared about the other Christians. And thirdly, Timothy was willing to go anywhere Paul sent him. Because he understood and he served Christ through serving the Apostle. When you think about authority in your life, it's easy to serve the authority that's above you because in reality, you're serving Christ. Even Paul said, your ultimate boss is God himself. So do everything with all your heart. Put your whole heart into it. So Timothy wasn't like, you know, feeling less of a person because he was Paul's errand boy, because he knew that God had made it where Timothy could serve God through serving the apostle. There it is. It's that simple. That's it. Now, Timothy wasn't like many of the believers in Paul's day. Paul said in verse 21, speaking about others, oh man, they all seek after their own interests and not those of Christ Jesus. You think that can be true today? You think there are people that, okay, maybe they're in the ministry, but it's about their own self-interest rather than those of Christ. I think it happens a lot. Sometimes pastors are so successful and they have mega churches and they can't handle the success. And they go off. We had a lot of failures in the last few years of mega pastors and celebrities. Man, they were, they were dropping like flies. Why? Because that's what happens when you serve your own interest instead of the interest of Christ. Self-interest is the handicap of the church. It is. It what makes the church limp along. If a whole congregation was only interested in themselves, what would that church be? Dead. It wouldn't be alive. It would be dead. It would be a self-serving social club. That's all it would be. So we've got to be so careful for self-interest. It also, self-interest keeps people out of God's service. Because you're more into what? (laughs) Self-service. You're serving yourself. Oh, no, man, I'm not into serving God. Why? I got to serve me. I don't have time to serve God. I got got barely enough time to serve me. How am I going to serve him? Oh, I got this to do and that to do. I got here to go and there to go. 
I got this to make and that to make. No, no, I don't. I got. I'm so busy serving me. There's not enough hours in the day that I could squeeze one out and serve God. That's self-interest, and it always puts others last. It doesn't help anybody. Somebody that's interested in themselves can never help somebody else. You know why? Because they're not interested in them. <laughs> they're not. They're only interested in themselves. What they want, how they feel, what they want to do, where they want to go. I don't have time for you. So think about it. People that are consumed with self-interest are not interested in God, and they're not interested in others because they're only interested in themselves. They take up all their time. Their life is filled with them. <laughs> There's no room for anybody else, not others and not God. So now, we're, remember we're in Philippians 2. I'm having fun with this one today. Verse 22, Paul brags on Timothy a little bit. Oh, by the way, I've had my failures in this area. I'm not saying, oh yeah, man, I'm not the poster child for getting it right. Let me tell you. I've had times when I've been selfish and I've been like, oh yeah, man, I don't have time for this and that. And then God convicts and says, yes, you do. No, I don't, God. Yes, you do. Okay. So, you know, we're all a work in progress. Don't forget that. Okay. So Paul said, now listen, he's going to brag to the Philippians about Timothy. You know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Now that little phrase, proven worth, it's really one word and it means trustworthiness. We could read it like this. You know of his trustworthiness. See, there's something about trust. And you know what that is? It has to be proven or demonstrated. Trust is not an idea. Trust is an action. It's a substance. It's something that is real. Timothy's trustworthiness was tested by Paul time and again. He did what Paul asked, and he went where Paul sent. That's what he did. That was Timothy. Now, that's a two-man team, a tag team, right? I guess you could call it. Now, we've got another guy that enters the scene. His name is Epaphroditus. Paul gives Epaphroditus five titles. Wow. And we're in verse 25. And he said, But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who was also your messenger and minister to my need. I'm like, look at this guy. What a teammate. He's playing five positions. We call that in baseball a utility player. He can play more than, he might play first base, third base, outfield. Maybe he'll get in there and, and uh, pitch a little bit. That's a utility player. He's all over the place. Epaphroditus is like that. He was like Paul's utility player. First, he called him a brother. He's a brother from another mother. They were brothers in Christ. He called him a fellow worker, a co-laborer. A co-laborer are two guys that are laboring for the same thing. Okay? Picture two guys, they each have a shovel, and they're both digging the same hole. Okay? They're co-laboring. They take turns sticking the shovel in the dirt and flinging out the dirt. Co-laborer. 
laboring. Picture two guys carrying this long plank, co-laboring together. Paul is saying, that's my Epaphroditus. I call him Paphy, but he's my co-laborer. He's also a fellow soldier fighting the good fight. He knows that Epaphroditus, he's not along for the ride just doing the, the cushy things. You know, some people, they just want to do the cushy things. They don't want to get down and dirty for the kingdom. Not, not Epaphroditus, man. He'll jump right in, feet first. He's going to fight the good fight of faith. That's what he's going to do. I hope you're not like the kind of guy or gal that, uh, I just want to do the cushy things. Yeah, yeah, you know, I don't... I, I just want to do the nice, easy stuff. I don't want to break my nails. I don't want to wrinkle my pants. I just, you know, whatever's easy. Epaphroditus, man, where's my gun? I'm going to war. They're both fighting the same battle. That's what he's saying. He also called, he also called him his messenger. It means an ambassador. One sent. An ambassador is one that represents the country they're sent from. And they bring the exact message of their leader. That's Epaphroditus. He can be trusted not to, uh, you know, distort the message, twist the message. His job is to deliver the message. That's it. And he also caused, called him a minister, a servant. That's where we get the word diakonos. Every church needs some good men that are diakonos, deacons. And the role of the deacon, I don't know, every church is different, but at New Hope, you know what the role of the deacon is? Anything. Anything. Security, maintenance, visitation, you name it. If you're going to be a deacon, you're going to have some backbone. You're going to be tight with God. You're not looking for Laurels, you just want to serve. That's what Epaphroditus is to Paul. Every church, every pastor needs men like that. Oh, yeah, they do. The deacons are like the right arm of the pastor. They do the things that he's not able to do. And he's they're the go-to guys. That's how they are around here. They're the go-to guys. Hey, I need you to do that. No problemo. And it's done. What a relief. Great deacons here at New Hope. So, we we look at this title. It's used for one who loved his city so much, this word minister, back in the ancient days. He loved his city so much that he undertook civic duties at his own expense. For instance, in those days, this person would house dignitaries that were visiting, or maybe, maybe support athletes that were training for the Olympics, or maybe they would sponsor a drama when it was put on, or outfitting a warship, too. Why? Because they were people of means, and they were willing to be generous with their means for the for the good of their fellow man in their city. See, a person of means who did meaningful things. That's what they were. Now, they were the supreme benefactors of the state. That's another word, benefactor. And thankfully, you know what? We have those in the church today as well, don't we? Churches churches need deacons, the go-to guys, and churches need benefactors, those that are well-to-do, that share the vision of the church, and they can come alongside 
and support the vision financially. That's a part of it. That's their calling, their gift, so to speak. Okay? And every church needs them. So, let me ask you. Paul is in a Roman apartment prison. Timothy's there. And why was Epaphroditus in Rome? What was he doing there? Epaphroditus was in Rome because the Christians in Philippi sent Paul a gift, financial gift. And Epaphroditus carried the gift, and he brought it in to minister to Paul. Now, this was a dangerous mission that he accepted, to offer himself as an attendant to one who was going up for capital charges against the Roman government. I'm like, well, you know, they could have arrested Epaphroditus. They could have said, hey, who are you? I'm Epaphroditus. What are you doing here? I came to visit Paul. Paul? The guy that's in jail? Yes. What are, you, are you in cahoots with him? Get over here, buddy. Let me check you. Put that cuffs on that guy. <laughs> so he, he, he went at risk to visit those guys. Right? He put himself at risk. And then he got really sick. He got really sick. And in verse 26, Paul said in the letter, He was longing for you all. It was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, almost to the point of death. The poor guy almost died, delivering the letter, traveling from Philippi to Rome. And then Paul mentions one final quality of Epaphroditus in verse 29. He said, Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to compete or to complete what was deficient in your service to me. In other words, they couldn't visit Paul in Rome, so Epaphroditus went. But he risked his life. Some people can't get out of bed on Sunday. And he risked his life. Isn't that something? Risking his life. He put his life on the line. The the authorized version says, not regarding his life. And the word risking, it actually means, it's it's a gambler's word that means to stake everything on a turn of the dice. You know, it's like when you bet the house. Here it is. Here's all my chips. I'm going to bet everything. You throw the dice. I could win it all or I could lose it all. That's what Epaphroditus did. There were actually people in the early church in the first century who were called the gamblers. Not the English word, but the Greek word. What, what, what did they do to qualify for that? They visited prisoners and those with infectious diseases. I remember some, well, never mind. William Barclay said, There should be in the Christian an almost reckless courage, which makes him ready to gamble with his life to serve Christ. Hmm. How much are you willing to put on the line to serve Christ? If you can't get out of bed, start with that. But what about time? What about effort? What about talent? What about money? How much are you willing to gamble on your faith? Because that's a good question. So, what does it take to have teamwork as we wrap this up today? From Timothy, we learn that it takes like-mindedness with the leader or the coach or the manager, right? He had that with Paul. 
It takes caring for others and also going anywhere and doing anything. Okay? That's all. It also means having your trustworthy trustworthiness tested and not living in self-interest. That's what Timothy teaches us. We look at Timothy, and these are the qualities of his life, and that's what made him such a good teammate. And then from Epaphroditus, we learn about brotherhood. He was a brother to Paul. You know, he, he would stick with him no matter what. That's what brothers do, right? And sisters, they stick together. He was a co-laborer. You know, he was willing to do the work, share the burden. He was fighting the good fight. He wasn't afraid to get down and dirty. Okay? He was sent on a mission, and he went, and he was a servant. He had a servant's heart. Now, I want you to think, what if we made our churches to push to that level of effectiveness and impact? What if we took a fresh look at our ministries and we looked at how we prepare the children in the children's church for the next generation? What better thing can we do? What can we do to to raise up the men so men can be teachers and men can be examples and men can be leaders and fulfill God's plan for their life. We have to remember, and by women too, not leaving them out. Some women are great teachers. Oh yeah, very insightful in the Word of God. We have to remember this. We are a team. Every church body is a team. So we need to build our team base on what we see here in Timothy and Epaphroditus. That's what we need to do. The qualities that we see in them, let's build our team on that. The old saying is true. Teamwork makes the dream work. Oh, we're not done. Oh, no. We got Philippians chapter 3 coming up. I like this topic, too. It kind of helps us to understand why this is all worthwhile. You know why it's all worthwhile? Because at the end, we're going to see... The true prize. What is the true prize? You know, God in His grace makes it worthwhile for each and every one of us to walk faithfully, to live diligently, to be effective in our lives. And it's the prize. Oh yeah! We'll see that next time right here on New Hope Radio and the Hope Club Podcast.